either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Ooh, boy, we got a big fat load of movies to talk about <laughs> this week. And definitely some Oscar contenders in uh, the batch this week, and definitely some that are not. Uh, and we'll run them all down. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start with one of those Oscar contenders. Two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. This is the Banshees of Inishirin. If you don't stop talking to me... Colin... And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home. And each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them. And I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start. Everything was fine yesterday. Yeah, I was going to say, if there was an Academy Award for best tagline yep. on a poster, I would vote for this. I love it. <laughs> Everything was fine yesterday. And that's really how it appears to Colin Farrell's character. Everything was fine because he and Brendan Gleeson, so great to have them back together, it by is. the way. In Bruges, in Bruges, man. And it's from the same filmmaker, by yes, the way, Martin if you loved In Bruges or Three Billboards Outside mm-hmm. Ebbing, Missouri. Mm-hmm which was an Oscar winner, for Martin McDonough, writer-director. He's back with this one. So you get Brendan and Colin back and their best friends in 1923 Ireland, this this uh, island off the coast, right? Mm-hmm. And then he decides, Brendan decides one day that, no, he doesn't want to talk to Colin anymore, and Colin just can't handle that. Because it doesn't make a great deal of sense. And, as he's, as many people point out, it's not very nice. It's not very nice. <laughs> it's such an incredibly well-made movie and the the performances all of the performances carrie condon as well who plays uh the sister she plays um, colin farrell's sister sister. and also barry keegan who i love so much in every single thing and he plays kind of the the island fool yeah you know he's stooge yeah the stooge And, and it is it's a very small island and that's one of the reasons why there are su- such a ripple effect. It's, there, there are just so few people on this island. Yeah. Everybody knows that this has happened. And it's it's uh, it's just existential dread, midlife crisis. And, just... and the stakes get raised because not only does Brendan Gleeson not want to be friends anymore, he doesn't want to talk to Colin Farrell anymore. And he says, if you keep talking to me, every time you do it, I'm going to cut off one of my fingers. Right. Not yours. Right. One of my own fingers. Yeah. Um, so that raises the stakes a little bit, and Colin Farrell just he's he he's, he doesn't how to know he doesn't know how to process this. No, he doesn't. It's such a it's such a bizarre turn of events, and it's interesting because in a way you feel for Brendan Gleeson's character because he's just it's like he's just hit an age where he realized I waste all day every day listening to this dull man talk, mm-hmm. and what else could I be doing with my life and what's left of it? And yeah. uh, but it's just. It's it's such it's so harsh. And the thing that I think is most effective about this is that it's relatable. It's like a breakup. And, but in a way, it's worse because it's you don't ever expect a friend to break up with you. Yeah. And I know this does not sound funny, but it is. Oh, it's, my God. It's, it's so funny. It's not nearly as out and out of a comedy as in Bruges no. was, but it is funny. It's very but funny. there's also some serious things going on here. One of the things that doesn't take you too long to notice is everybody is single. 
number one. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody is single in this movie. And it's set in 1923, and the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, I think, is very important. Yeah, I Because think- there's a metaphor going on here of this very intimate civil war mirroring what's going on in the country. Yeah. No, I think that you're exactly right. It's also really heartbreaking, um, particularly Colin Farrell will just break your heart as well, I think, Barry Keegan. Mm-hmm. You know, those two characters are are they're funny and they everybody I mean the the writing is as crisp and brilliant as anything McDonough has ever done. But um there are moments of real heartbreak in this oh, film. Oh, definitely so. Definitely so. And I think you're right. Colin Farrell especially is getting a lot of Oscar talk right now. And he's great. But the entire ensemble is oh, great. Yeah. And the writing and the directing is great. The the landscapes oh, look gorgeous. fantastic. It, yeah, this is just a really fine, fine piece of work. Sort of sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. It, it's quiet and, and it sounds like... Uh, maybe high concept of somebody cutting off their fingers. Uh, and it is kind of weird, but in what it's saying, the way that it says it is so, so layered and, and impactful. I think that it's like, like you said, it's great writing. It you is. Know, how many times can we say it always starts with the writing, but it does. It really does. And, but the execution also, not just the performances. And as you said, I mean, and every single one of the performances is just spot on perfect. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's also just gorgeous to watch. It really is. And just a very, Funny, but yet uh, very m- melancholy, sad, like you said mm-hmm. at times, heartbreaking, but it really... Incredibly Irish. In- <laughs> it's so Irish, this movie. It is, and that means some very serious brogues. Yeah, but the other thing that I loved so much is the Brendan Gleeson's character is a fiddle player. Yeah. And after he breaks up, you know, then he, he has people in and, and he starts playing fiddle and he seems to enjoy his life, which only makes Colin Farrell's character sadder. And but it's funny because the woman is singing about her dog, her dead dog, her dog, her dead dog, and, and, and Barry Keegan's character is like, "What is this shite?" And it's just, why are they all about death? And yeah. I, you know, as, having grown up with just Irish music constantly, they are all about death. And it is, it's just, it's, it's a funny, it is a profundly Irish film it is. in the best way. It is. But you certainly don't have to be Irish to enjoy oh, no. it. No, Although no. it will add some depth if you <laughs> if you are. But yeah, this is a big recommendation, an Oscar contender for sure. The Banshees of Inishirin, and it's in theaters now. Here's another Oscar contender, another drama, deeply personal coming of age story about the strength of family and the generational pursuit of the American dream. This is the new one from writer director James Gray called Armageddon Time. My parents are sending me to my brother's school. That's heavy. In this institution, you can be anything you want to be. It won't be because of a handout. It'll be because you earned your way there. Something's bugging you. What is it? Sometimes kids say bad words about the black kids. What do you do when that happens? Obviously nothing, of course. You think that's smart? You just want me to be like you. I want you to be a whole lot better than me. Life is unfair. Be thankful when you get a leg up. You make the most of your break and do not look back. All my hopes are with you and your brother for my whole life. You're gonna be a match, okay? Firm handshake. Okay, give me a hug. This is another one that sneaks up on you. It really does. And James Gray, I wouldn't say he's had any any blockbusters in his no. resume, but you might know him from Ad Astra, the one with Brad Pitt from a few years ago. He did The Lost City of Z. He did We Own the Night. And now he's very much, I would assume, looking back on his own childhood. 
it's not an out and out memoir, but it, I think it comes pretty close because it centered around this uh, sixth grade boy in Queens, New York, and it's 1980. And the boy, Paul, is played by a young actor named Banks Rapetta, who's great. He's so great. Oh, that little face. Yeah, he's he's My one of God. the great members of this ensemble. And uh, he's going to public school while his older brother is going to a private school. And and he likes it that way. And he's he's making a, a friend, sort of a, a, a troublemaker. The, the two of them get into a little bit of trouble. His friend is one of the few African-American kids in the school. And that becomes a big part of this because the, the, the title, first of all, Armageddon Time, comes be, because 1980 in those early 80s, he heard his parents talking about the threat of nuclear war yep. all the time as Reagan was was getting elected. And uh, his parents are played by Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong, both great. So good. And he has a really interesting, funny and yet sad and, and scary sometimes relationship with his parents. But his main connection is with his grandfather, played by Anthony Hopkins. And it's, um, you know, one of the things I really love about this movie, uh, you know, is that so often when you are sort of making a film where you're looking back at your own childhood, um, even good ones can be just very, just awash in nostalgia and sentiment. Yes. And I really appreciate that this one is not. It's forgiving. It is. Uh, but it's definitely not, there are no rose-colored glasses, not about his own behavior, not about his parents' behavior, not about the situation that he was in. And I appreciate that that it's a hard line to straddle. And it reminded me, weirdly enough, of Lady Bird, although it's not the comedy that Lady no, Bird was. No, it's not, but I think you're right. I but think you're right. It's a filmmaker looking back at their own coming of age in a way that uh, accepts everybody's flaws and does, I think, a better job in avoiding sentiment, in actually sort of analyzing the context, the situation, and the choices that you get pushed into making. Yeah, uh, and young Paul, that's the, the stand-in, I think, for uh, James Gray as a, uh, as a young boy, when he eventually gets transferred to the private school that his brother attends, then he has to leave his friend at the old school behind. And it becomes, then it, it moves into away from being a memoir so much that then he starts nurturing those memories into a more universal statement of him looking back. And you can tell that he's he's owning up to his own privilege. Mm -hmm. He's dealing with a little bit of guilt, some well-earned guilt there, in the fact that there are mechanisms in place in America that just on an everyday basis, from from small things to bigger things, just push some of us toward our dreams and hold others of us back. And yeah. a lot of times that falls around race and class. Sure. And that's the the message that this movie, I think very smartly and for almost all the time, very subtly, that's the message it's it's making. Yeah. One of the other things that I really liked about this film is that it doesn't, you know, you don't get that sort of grandstanding moment where a choice is made and it's clear he's going to be, you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't yeah. do that. It, right. it really you know, it restrains from being too tidy or or delivering a message, so to speak. And I really appreciated that about this film. I mean, it's just and it's and it's another one that's just beautifully written. Yeah, it is. And uh, you get Jessica Chastain in a, a very important but just one scene. Yep. It's a one scene cameo. And she delivers it, of course, very well. But it's yes. a very I don't want to tell you who she plays, but it's an important scene. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Jalen Webb, who plays. Uh, Paul's friend, at Johnny. The uh, Johnny, at the first school. Very, very good as well. And it's just, it's a fantastic 
ensemble. It seems so authentic. Yeah, you, you know, know what I loved, and I know you did too, his relationship with his older brother. Oh, yeah. They were so they funny. They were so funny. And and really, the relationship and, and the whole family, it just seems so authentic it because did. it probably is. Right, A lot of it right. probably came from his own memories. Yeah, his relationship with his brother and with his his parents, even early on when he he just defies them at the dinner table and just goes and orders some Chinese food yeah. when they tell him not to. <laughs> I was just laughing. I know. It seems so, in, you know, such a minor moment. But, but it, he's uh, just a brat. He is. And he, I think, you know, it, it is. It's, a, it's an interesting and entertaining moment. But also, I think it sets the stage for a kid that just doesn't understand how privileged he is. Yeah. As 12-year-olds do not. Right. And that's, I think, the the sort of glasses, if you will, that James Gray is looking back on, taking stock of, of his upbringing. upbringing. And in, in much the same way that you were talking about uh, Banshees and being Irish. Now, if you're Jewish and you grew up in a Jewish family, now this will speak to you even more in a, in a different way, but you certainly don't have to be Jewish to enjoy it right. by, by far, but it, it will be, have a deeper meaning if you share the kind of upbringing that uh, James Gray did. But another, a very well-earned drama, well-written, well-directed, and beautifully acted, and another a big recommendation in theaters this week, uh, Armageddon Time. Let's go to Netflix next. Now a detective for hire, Enola Holmes takes on her first official case to find a missing girl as the sparks of a dangerous conspiracy ignite a mystery that requires the help of friends and Sherlock himself to unravel. This is Enola Holmes 2. I'm looking for a girl. She worked at the match factory. Enola Holmes. She's a detective. Looks like she blow over in the wind. She discovered something that powerful people want to hide. And it's deadly. Sherlock, why are you here? Is it my case or your own? Both. Seems our cases are connected. The game has found its feet again. Spark, ignite. Catch all that? Catch all that, George? (laughs) I didn't write that, but I'll take credit for it. (laughs) They're in a match factory. It's a mystery to match factory. And uh, and Millie Bobby Brown... uh, She's great. She is. We didn't really watch Stranger Things, which is how she came up, right? Which is weird, because it seems like it's got our names written all over it. Yeah, we saw her, of course, in that Godzilla movie. Which which was terrible. But she is great in this part. Yeah, she is. We liked, you know, she was one of the reasons that the first one worked as well as it did. So she set up shop now. She's like, she proved herself in that first one as being able to figure out a mystery so she set up shop and but she still has to prove herself to a well, lot of also, people. also here's a surprise nobody wants to hire a teenage girl <laughs> especially be- when sherlock is her older right. brother yeah so the you know so she gets hired by his matchstick girl to help mm-hmm. her find a lost sister and yeah and as things unravel and she gets herself into some trouble her family comes to her aid including her older brother as well as the mom who's played by helena bottom carter which is one of the most fun characters from the first film yeah. as well now i wish so henry cavill actually has more to do that's one of the things I thought was a little bit interesting about the first one, that he was in it as Sherlock Holmes, but was a very much a supporting player. Yes, he's, a- he's, almost a cameo yeah, in the first one. He's much more involved this time. Yeah, he is. I mean, it's still it's still support work. Yeah. It's still mainly about her, but he, yeah, he does have a much larger part this time. It's not super remarkable, this film. And, you know, if you're a, if you're like a Sherlock Holmes fan, I mean, the they flash back to help the audience understand how she's making connections which feels spoon-fed. But yeah, just keep in mind, it's a family film. It's for kids. Yeah. And in that way, I mean, I really think it is. It's pretty clever and it's pretty fun. Yeah, and this one is based upon, as the first one was, the Enola Holmes Mysteries, a book series by Nancy Springer. But the uh, the co-writer and the director, once again, as in the first one, was Harry Bradbeer. And I think it's really directed well because 
It's a little long. It's a little over two hours, but it moves. It does. And it's very stylish, the way they bring certain visual visual cues in. I think it's really well done to keep you invested. I think so, too. And she breaks the, the fourth wall a great mm-hmm. deal. Oh, she yeah. talks directly to the camera, mm-hmm. which is to say she talks to us. But the other thing that happens sometimes, which I, I, I really much enjoy, and I think that Millie Bobby Brown delivers well, she just gives the camera a look. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. are you checking this out? Yeah. Which I found very funny and charming. Yeah, and these types of capers are fun. They are. Just to try to sort out the mystery and get all the clues. So, so yeah, I think it's very enjoyable. It's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you definitely want to check it out. Also, um, in these supporting cast, David Thewlis, who's always good. Um, Hamish Patel, who was the star of Yesterday, that, yes. that Beatles movie. Mm-hmm. He's in it, too. So another good ensemble here. And, yeah, just a fun caper and another great performance by Millie Bobby Brown on Netflix now, Enola Holmes 2. Next is a new one by a couple of filmmakers that we are fans of, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. It's a comedy sci-fi horror flick that offers up a twisted reflection of our paranoid times in an inventive mix of buddy comedy and sci-fi thriller. Their new one's called Something in the Dirt. I still believe part of it was real. This city was designed according to this tablet. Maybe these gateways to other dimensions are actually all around us. Catch it in scientific terms, it doesn't really matter. I don't think anything is worth what happened. Hey, you don't think that has anything to do with what we're doing downstairs? We're not quite in dangerous, uncharted territory yet. this all wrong now we have a a different podcast called fright club and uh, we record one of those live every month and show one of the movies that we talk about we've shown a bunch of these guys (laughs) movies i mean they only have five and we've shown two right this is the fifth and it was resolution and spring and the endless and synchronic and now this one and Synchronic was the last one, mm-hmm. and it's where it saw them take a step up in, in budget and in stars, mm-hmm. because in the last one, that was Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. Yep. And it was a fine film, but I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I like them better with this vibe. Number one, they go back to starring. They're the two stars mm-hmm. here. And it has that funny, wry, wink-wink kind of a satirical yeah. viewpoint that I really like, and I think it, it really works for the niche that they're they're digging out here. And they they star as these two guys that... That meet each other when Levi moves in to a new apartment, and his neighbor John has lived there for a while. And suddenly, there's no one has lived in Levi's apartment for quite some time, uh, but now he's moving in, and they immediately discover maybe some paranormal activity going on. So they think, well, we're going to document this, we're right. going to film it, and we're going to get famous, and we're going to be get get a fortune, and that's what we're going to do. And of course, not only do things not go as planned but we then jump ahead because it gives us interview footage from after this whole adventure is over of people talking about what did happen and then it becomes sort of this quasi documentary slash mockumentary about the whole thing uh, you want it it, it it puts you more of a mind of resolution and the endless it's it's not like spring no. at all that's the one that i think that that really stands apart as being quite a different film but but something that I think about these three films is that they strike me as also being very much about making films. Yeah. 
and and this one more directly than the other two and that and they're trying to make a film they're trying to make a documentary and then they talk about how much they could make and the one guy was like oh i've read that at some festivals you get they buy it for 10 million dollars and they oh i think that's pretty low you're like oh yeah. sons yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also a lot comes into play. It reminded me of resolution because so much of it is just two guys yeah. in one building. And that could be a reflection of, you know, a COVID uh, production. Mm-hmm. But even if it's not, it also reflects all that's happened in the 10 years since resolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only COVID, but now one of these things that these two guys, what happens to these two guys is they're getting more and more involved with this, this paranormal stuff they want to, they want to record is they just start going down rabbit holes, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is another thing that has really flourished in the last 10 years. Yeah, and the one of them is sort of inventing them, and the other is gullible enough to follow them. And it's fascinating, the dynamic that they create with that. It is. So it's it's a comment on those times in a couple of ways, not only the production, but what the movie is talking about in in paranoia, like the synopsis says, and also just the exploitation, how people are so willing to either exploit a, a, a situation or be exploited yeah. by following down these foolish errands. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating that they do it in a way that is 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 wryly humorous yeah. about it as well. And that's the vibe I think these guys tie into that is perfect. That's why I, I was glad to see them starring again. Not that Synchronic was a bad movie. It wasn't. But no. it didn't have that that fun vibe that the rest of them do. Well, it's just, it's also, I think, hard to, I mean, Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan, you're like, they're definitely not just regular Joes. No. You know not. what I mean? Right. And there's something right. about these films that that I think having just regular Joes fall into yeah. these makes more sense. You're like, Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan, they're way too hot to fall for this. I don't know how that has anything to do with it. But it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, it's really enjoyable. And if, if you've seen any of their films, and I recommend all of them, all by, of them. Uh, by the way. Then I think you'll really like this one. It's just it's just that vibe that they're car- carving out for themselves, and you can call it yeah, sci-fi, nerdy, <laughs> lo-fi, geek horror, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Yeah, we're there for it. Always. Yeah, totally always on board. It. <laughs> and it's in theaters now called Something in the Dirt. Next up, we have two unhappy strangers finding themselves on a road trip across the U.S., partaking in a scientist's radical experiment with the afterlife in a poignant sci-fi debut called Next Exit. How many people know what it's like to be us right now? At our institute, we now bridge dozens of new participants daily from this world to the next. Once you're in a state of passing, we terminate your physical form. Three, two, one. Wait. Let's try and have some fun today, please. Okay, so what's fun? You know that every time you disappear, another little piece of my heart breaks. Lost everyone. So? I never even had anyone. But I did. Ah! I can't make it stop. You can stop! I need you! I see it. This darkness. It's irresistible. These are good back-to-back movies because they both deal with you know, sort of uh, lo-fi, sci-fi weirdness. Um, and in this case, it's it's been, I don't know, how, uh, like a few months since this this scientific group has proven the existence of, of life after death. And um, so there are two people who are trying to get to San Francisco to participate, which is to say to voluntarily die so that they can be sort of t- 
tagged and tracked into the afterlife. And um, one thing leads to another as they're going to pick up their car rental. He doesn't have a valid driver's license and she doesn't have a credit card. So they have to go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it seems very contrived. But these two performances elevate everything about this movie. And and to see the two people stuck together in a car and the way they behave with each other, it really is the reason to watch the movie. I mean, their arcs are so well-crafted and the performances, their chemistry is so spot on that, you know, the, the other sort of par- weaker parts of the movie, you don't notice so much. Mm-hmm. And this is writer-director, debut, as we said, writer-director uh, Molly Elfman. And it also, uh, not Molly, it's M I. L-I, so I hope I pronounced that right. Miley, maybe? Anyway. Um, it also features a, sort of a cameo by Karen Gillan, which yes. is sort of surprising. And the two leads are Ahu Coley and Katie Parker, both of whom do a lot of stuff with Mike Flanagan. Um, he was the sheriff in Midnight Mass, which we like so much. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love it. And, and his character, Teddy, is just real, outgoing, a happy guy. You, you have a hard time understanding why he's doing this, but he's real chatty and happy. And her character, Rose, not, not at all. She's angry. She's angry that she has to share a car with this right, guy. Yeah. She's just unpleasant and mean. And, um, <laughs> and, and you know, the, the again, it's it's their chemistry that makes it work. And a lot of times, and you in particular, always notice the flaws of, of a road trip film, which is exactly what this is, um, is that it, it tends to feel like just a strung together group of gags that yeah. have nothing to do with anything. I think that uh, they, they de- she develops a, ni- a nice sort of atmosphere for this because in a little bit what they're doing as they cross the country is seeing how just the proof that there is an afterlife is affecting humans, whether they're participating in this or not. So that's a very interesting sort of a, yeah. not oh, even yeah. a subplot, it's just sort of a side note as they're driving. And so most of the rest of the decisions that they make or the sort of escapades that they fall into it does feel organic given their situation which i thought was very so it's it's well written not everything does work as well as it should they develop this sort of supernatural element that they just they don't do anything with at all and you know on the whole i can't i mean you just can't fault these two performances it's it's more than enough to make the film compelling yeah definitely and that's called next exit in theaters now well let's lighten things up Comedy about two sisters attempting to win over their terminally ill, difficult-to-please aunt in hopes of becoming the beneficiaries of her wealthy estate, only to find the rest of their greedy family members have the same idea. It's the estate. Aunt Hilda's dying cancer. And I don't really care. Mom, she's your sister. I know, but you know what a bitch she is. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Aunt Hilda is never going to write us into her will. She doesn't even like us. She doesn't like anybody. In case you haven't noticed, our business is going down the tubes and our lives are falling apart. Let's go get rich from that dying old bitch. What the hell is wrong with you people? We have always had a thing, you and me. Our thing being that we're in the same family. We're just cousins. Cousins are fair game. Maybe even have some kids. Not naturally, you know, in case they came out weird. Not exactly an original premise Nope. for not exactly a funny movie. No. Uh, but you do have a decent ensemble here. Tony Collette right away right. gets your attention. Uh, and then Kathleen you, Turner is the, uh, Kathleen is the Tur- curmudgeonly yeah. aunt. Exactly right. She's uh, she's the one with the money. Uh, Anna Ferris. you've got Ron Livingston, um, Rosemary Duet, David Duchovny. Now, David Duchovny probably gets most of the laughs here. He shows up as a cousin who's just, he really wants to get together with his cousin, uh, played by Tony Collette. And he says, hey, cousins are fair game. <laughs> 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 
He's that type of character, always pushing some, something sexual, but it's it's very deadpan delivery. So I did get a chuckle out of that, but that's about it. Um, very, very contrived. Not a road movie in any way. It's pretty much set there at the house in Louisiana where they're all visiting her, trying to get on her good side before she uh, gives it up and, uh, and gives somebody all the money. But just so contrived and so dumb and, and not very it's funny. It's a waste of a it really is. interesting cast. It really is. And I'll tell you what, they do what they can with this script. They do. As we always uh, say, but, yeah. starts with the writing, yeah, and the writing is not here. Yeah, the writer-director is Dean Craig, and it's just it's just so obvious, and it's been done, and you see it coming a mile away, and except for Duchovny's character, which gets a few chuckles, it's just not very funny, but it's in theaters now, and a, a, a nice ensemble. I'm glad they <laughs> hope they had a good time together. Uh, call it at the estate. Let's go to a thriller on VOD next. A host takes a call where an unknown person threatens to kill the showman's entire family on the air. To save loved ones, the radio host will have to play a survival game, and the only way to win is to find out the identity of the criminal. Mel Gibson has another movie. What? This time he's the star on the line. Tell me calmly. Where exactly are you? I'm at your house. Honey. Tonight, I've gone out of my way to make sure you spend the worst night of your life. See, I've created a game, and I think you're going to love it. This can still end well. But I don't want it to end well. I don't want to die here. Well, if we don't want to die, we got to fight. Well, that won't be easy. Now I want you to jump. How about you tell us the truth? We're all listening. Show yourself, you slippery son of a... Yeah, another Mel Gibson movie. It must be a day of the week. <laughs> yeah, but you can't call this a geezer teaser. This is no teaser. He's the main star here. He's oh, uh, he's Elvis, oh, his name. Uh, and he is the uh, radio talk show host in, L- in L.A. He's got the Midnight Show, but he's a radio star somehow. Full disclosure, if you didn't know... I've worked in radio for about 35 years, and I'm, I'm not going to nitpick on the, the details of radio in here, because that's, that's the least of this movie. Still, I just want to say I'm very proud of you, because I know that that's hard. <laughs> it's like me it watching is. a Catholic movie. It's just so tough but, for know, me not to go, this, no. This movie is not made for people that no, work in the radio business, isn't. so you know, let it go. Uh, although it's really not that bad. It's, it's better than some movies, but anyway. The biggest problem with this movie is just it's a rehash of two or three better films that I'm not going to mention because they would be spoilers a, a giveaway yeah but it's it and and Mel Gibson he hams it up of course uh and so does his uh, co-star Kevin Dillon he's one of the other DJs he hams it up a little bit the rest of the cast very pedestrian they seem a little self-conscious ar- around Mel Gibson but everything about this movie just screams TV episode of Law and Order or whatever, whatever show, right, sure, just with a lot of f bombs in it, right? Because you've seen the twist. The, the, the writer director is Ramald Bulanger. I hope I pronounced that right. Got some surprises up his sleeve that really aren't that surprising, right? Uh, the the dialogue, everything is just so pedestrian. The shots just telegraph when something's going to happen, and they just move along. You probably, I I can't imagine they did too many takes of very many shots here. And it's just pretty, pretty weak. And you'll recognize everything going on. 
I would say I would say the movies, and you'll know exactly. But I'm not going to because if you do want to watch it, I don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, but you don't. don't. You don't want to watch it. Not really. <laughs> hey, do you remember Kevin Dillon in The Blob? I, I loved that. I yeah. loved the 1988-89 uh, remake of The Blob. I loved that movie. Well, here he's got the seven to midnight shift, and he's pissed at Mel because he thinks Mel Mel wants his shift. So well, they're they're enemies. Yeah. But I, which I didn't really get because Mel is treated like a radio god, and Doing he's the and he's show. got the minute. But hey. That's right. We digress. <laughs> anyway, the movie is on VOD. Not very good. It's called On the Line. Hey, how about some Indonesian horror? When the heavy storm hits, it wasn't the storm that a family should fear, but the people and non-human entities who are out for them. This is Satan's Slaves, colon, Communion. <laughs> This is the latest from writer-director Joko Anwar. Yes, please. Come on. So, and uh, I remember when I saw his original, Satan's Slaves, that I thought it was fascinating because it was sort of an alleged sequel to this obscure 1970s British film, Satan's Slave, which is just sort of a lot of nubile girl-on-girl action and not mm-hmm. very good. Of course, I've seen it. <laughs> um, and But then, you know, I thought to myself... How much better Anwar Satan's Slaves was. Um, and the thing about it is that you don't expect then the next one. I'm not I don't know that it's better, but it really holds its own. First of all, it was it was filmed in IMAX. And so I thought, well, maybe it'll just be like really beautiful. No, it's not. Um, which is not to say it's a waste of IMAX, but I mean, it's a creepy film. It's set inside this apartment building that's leaking and has creaking and don't get on the elevator. Why would they get on the elevator, George? I would. I was going to say, that's an interesting choice to film this in IMAX. It really is, but one of the things I think that it accomplishes, it really makes the building itself a character, uh-huh. a super, super spooky character. Yeah. I mean, he does a great job, and, and it's it's not unheard of, obviously, for a really creepy movie to have that, to have sort of the architecture of the building be part of this creepiness, sure, you know, yeah. uh, Rosemary's Baby, obviously, and oh, then there Lord, are about yes. a million of them. Yeah. But it really, it holds its own in that way. Um, you know, door after door, floor after floor, there's just hijinks to find, there's creepiness afoot. And it's just well done. I mean, it's it's a horror movie. It's not a masterpiece, but it is definitely, a, if you're a horror fan, it's worth watching. Yeah, especially if you have Shudder, because that's where you can find it on Shudder and other VOD channels. Uh, check it out, Satan's Slaves Communion. Another horror thriller next on VOD, based on a mother and daughter who deal with an uncertain threat that brings them closer together as a blend. It's called Girl at the Window. He captures... He tortures, he kills. Don't know what to do anymore. I just want you to believe me. We have to go in. This is not a normal teenage dilemma. Seven people are dead. There's nothing here. What was that? William, get out of there now! Stay away from me! 
So you might remember when you saw this movie first, it was called Rear Window. <laughs> and then it was called Fright Night. And then it was the Fright Night remake. Uh, and then it was uh, a, The Woman at the Window. This right. doesn't even really have a, an interesting enough title. You're like, wait, didn't I just see that? Well, see, that's why I like. we were one of the few people that liked Woman at the Window so much because it just acknowledged that yes. and found the only way to sort of remake the whole idea and, and do it you know, worthwhile. I thought it was just to make a very pulpy, yeah, a pulpy remake. Yeah, but that was that movie. This is something different. Yeah, it's well, really not kind though. of not in different. any way. <laughs> not in any way. It's a it's a single mother and her teenage daughter, and they they move into a house, and and the daughter who is awake a lot at night, she believes as she's watching out the window that the guy next door is a serial killer. It's the same movie. Um, oh, I, I I forgot the Shia LaBeouf version. I mean, this movie has been made so many times. Yeah. Woman in the Window, by the way, is what that was called. Woman in the Window. The one with Amy Adams. Yeah, but anyway. And that's the thing. I mean, it's not that this is a bad movie. It isn't. The performances are are very solid. Uh, Rada Mitchell in particular. She's she's always a reliable performer. She makes a lot of very mediocre films. This is one of them. It's just that there's just not a single new thing happens. Right. If you're going to do this, well, just just recently, a a little bit of the same idea was with that The Watcher. Right. Which found a different way to deal with that person in the window. If you're going to do it, what... what New are you bringing? Right. Nothing. I mean, aside from the fact that, that for the first time, it's a mother and daughter. Yeah. That's it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. And that is on VOD now. Girl at the Window. Boy, a different kind of horror next. Playing out in real time, an elementary school teacher organizes a mixer of like-minded women when she encounters a woman from her past, leading to a volatile chain of events. This is called Soft and Quiet. Everything thus far has been a step in the right direction in the magazine, but we want to be careful with this first issue, right? We want to engage the mainstream, right? We, we, we can't come on too strong, okay? Soft on the outside. So vigorous ideas can be digested more easily. Mm. Now we are the best secret weapon that no one checks at the door because we tread quietly. This is from writer-director Beth D. Araujo. Hope I pronounced that right as well. And this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Rachel Willis, who really, really liked it. And uh, it's a, like I say, a different kind of horror because in that synopsis, the key is the the school teacher organizes a mixer of like-minded women. That that's a key about what they're like-minded about. Yeah, it really is. And it's just it's a it's a great comment on the insidious nature of some of these poisonous thoughts and mm-hmm. and really who you turn your children over to because she's a kindergarten teacher yeah. and mob mentality and uh and the female side of hate mm-hmm. i suppose it's go see it yeah it's a it's a really incredibly it's a remarkable film unsettling unnerving yeah like well a, a, made yeah different different kind of horror and a great title for the way it, it it grows soft and quiet and that's and that's and their strategy that's their strategy that is their strategy so yeah read Rachel's review at madwolf.com and check this out it's in theaters now called soft and quiet how about an anime action adventure? For the first time ever, Uta, the most beloved singer in the world, will reveal herself to the world at a live concert. The voice that the whole world has been waiting for is about to resound. This is called One Piece Film, colon, Red. <laughs> Shanks, 
ワンピースフィルムレッドナン Which just makes it part of the One Piece universe, which、right. is vast. There is a lot of this. And, and if you're already a fan, and then you know what you're getting into. And what you're getting into is just wild, just nuttiness. And that's what this movie offers a lot of nuttiness. If you think about like maybe Taylor Swift has decided <laughs> that she's going to have the entire world together and the, then kind of kill everybody all at one time. <laughs> which is funny because this film is called Red and she has an album called Red. I think that, it was a, that's few,、right. a few albums ago. But、uh, yeah. See, they, there are space pirates. <laughs> there's, you know,、yeah. rock stars. It's a lot a, of music. A lot of music. A lot of music. I mean, it's essentially a musical. Yeah. Yeah. And it was、uh, reviewed at madwolf.com by the Schlocketeer. That's right. Daniel Baldwin, who we'll talk to here in a few. And the director is Goro Taniguchi. So, anime fans, you definitely want to check it out. Musical fans. Yeah. Got a little bit of both here. And that is out in theaters now called One Piece Film Red. And one more, a horror mystery thriller. Two detectives begin an investigation into a disastrous secret military experiment where five prisoners were kept awake for 30 days in a sealed gas chamber. This is called the sleep experiment. If you comply with the following requirements, all charges currently held against you will be dropped and you will be automatically released from your prison sentence. You must stay awake for the next 30 days. You must complete all physical activities. We will be testing an experimental gas that will be administered to you to prevent you from falling asleep. Corey Haynes reviewed this one for us at madwolf.com. And if you remember the sort of you know, online urban legend of the Soviet sleep experiment, and she clearly did, <laughs> <laughs> this is the cinematic equation of that. And,、um, and it's just not very good. It just really doesn't have a lot to offer. Yeah. And Tori goes in a little bit more detail. You can read her review at madwolf.com, but wasn't very impressed with the sleep experiment out on VOD now. And with that, let's take it to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back into the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for the latest studio movie news. What's shaking? Well, Disney's comedic murder mystery, See How They Run, is now available to stream on HBO Max. And David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future is also available to stream right now on Hulu. Nice. More weekend watches lined up for everyone there. And then I thought I'd take a moment to talk about Terrifier 2, mostly because of the phenomenon it's kind of become. Yeah.、Um, it was supposed to only have a single weekend theatrical run on October 7th. Just a quick release. It's an unrated cut of the film. I think it dropped in about 800 theaters, had zero marketing outside of social media and horror sites. And ended up being successful enough that、uh, about 700 theaters kept it for an additional two weeks before the film was finally bumped back up to 1,000 screens for Halloween weekend. And it ended up grossing about $8 million by the end, which isn't a lot for a Hollywood production, but for an indie film that had a budget of only $250,000, that's a lot of money. Yes, it is. It's kind of a surprise.、Uh, just just、uh, Bit of a juxtaposition here. It, that $8 million is more than most Oscar hopefuls get each year, and it's actually more than last year's Best Picture winner, Coda, grossed. Wow. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm going to be honest. I'm really not a fan of it. That's not my mm-hmm. my kind of horror, but I give it all the props in the world because that that's really fantastic. Exactly. It, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a rarity to happen these days. Any any sort of uh, big progression from weekend to weekend, usually films drop down. Yeah. And this one just went up. Um, if people are curious to see it, definitely not for everyone, but it's currently available to stream on the uh, horror-centric service Screenbox and a bit. Apparently, it will hit VOD sometime in early December. And it is about, what, about two and a half hours? Yes, it's long. Uh, speaking of successes, the theatrical run for George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead in 3D has been extended through November 10th. So if you have a Regal Cinema in your area, uh, you've got extra time to catch it. And it looks great. Cool. Stepping back away from theaters, uh, Olivia Wilde's thriller Don't Worry Darling will be available to stream on HBO Max beginning November 7th. And Nightmares Film Festival selection, all jacked up and full of worms, will be available to stream exclusively on Screenbox come November 8th. Paramount has set a November 15th VOD release for their smash horror hit Smile. Also on November 15th will be the VOD release for George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing and the David Bowie Doc Moonage Daydream is hitting that VOD that same day as well. Oh, man, that's a great one. Terror Strikes the 100 Acre Wood on February 15th, which will see a one-night-only theatrical release for Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And then uh, we've got a, two project announcements. Uh, first up, Toho has announced a brand-new Japanese Godzilla movie for theatrical release on November 3rd. That is a date for Japan, but given how the last couple have gone, I wouldn't be too surprised if it hits the U.S. around the same time as well. And uh, current word is that that will be a period piece that in post-World War II Japan, I'm guessing that's being done to differentiate from the ongoing Monsterverse movies since Godzilla vs. Kong 2 will be dropping uh, March 2024. Plus, there's a live-action Godzilla show hitting TV next year that will star Kurt and Wyatt Russell. Ah. Wild. Wow, yeah. Family affair. Yeah. (laughs) And last up, uh, Friday the 13th update. No new news on a new movie yet, but since the dust has settled from the lawsuits, Jason Voorhees and his mom, Pamela, will be heading to TV just like Chucky and Tiffany before them. Uh, if any horror fans are worried about how diluted that might get on television, I just suggest watching the Chucky show, which pretty much gets away with murder, <laughs> almost literally, <laughs> literally, on a weekly basis. <laughs> Plus, A24 is producing Friday the 13th show, so there's a bit more of a theatrical quality to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, good stuff. You can always get updated with Daniel. Follow him on socials at The Schlocketeer. Thanks a bunch. Hey, thanks for having me. Boy, we got a big one coming next week. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is out. Also Spirited. Mandrake. Sirens. My Father's Dragon. Sam and Kate. Paradise City. This is uh, Bruce Willis and John Travolta. That's next week. You're getting that one. <laughs> I'll take it. Brainwashed. And hey, meet me in the bathroom. What's going on in there? I don't know, but we'll find out. That's all next week. Uh, Until then, what do you think about the movies this week? Boy, a lot to talk about. We've got Oscar contenders. We've got not very good films, some in the middle. What do you think? Always good to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts called Fright Club. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Be well. We will talk next week. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. 
Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.